Hey guys, Kieran Steckley here. A quick note before this week's pod. Cody and I recorded before the news of Jonathan Scope's contract extension. So it is not mentioned and actually we do talk about it in theory and we both dismiss it from happening. So goes to show how much we know. However, I did want to give my two cents here as the news is fresh. It's a win-win-win, as Cody said in his story on The Athletic, which, by the way, shout-out Cody for breaking the news. If you follow us at Turn Corner Pod, you would have been among the first to see Jonathan Scope's contract extension. Jonathan Scope gets a little bit more money, gets some security, still maintains his flexibility with an opt-out on the uh, in between the two years. The Tigers get a guy who is an established good player, wants to be in Detroit, wants to play for A.J., He's buying the vision they are selling. These are the kind of moves that well-run teams make. So I think it's great for the Tigers. I think it's great for Jonathan Scope. And hopefully it's a sign of things to come. So hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. Cody and I had a lot of fun. He's in Cleveland. He's got some other trips planned. He'll go into it. So please subscribe, Apple, Spotify, follow on Twitter at Turn Corner Pod. Enjoy the show. And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me on remote in Cleveland, Ohio, he's with The Athletic. He rides with the windows down in the front seat of his car. He's got a one-hand feel on the steering wheel and the other on his heart. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, man? That was beautiful, but we're going to... This is the opposite of remote. I'm not remote i'm on site in cleveland and love the taylor swift reference i don't my hands on my own heart i guess that's kind of sad but whatever uh no we're here in cleveland i like i like cleveland i haven't spent a ton of time here i've made a couple trips here i think it's a fine place people in detroit and cleveland like to go back and forth oh which one's worse to be honest when you're from west texas they're both fine places plenty to do you know um respectable Midwestern cities, having a good time so far in Cleveland, Ohio. They both kind of are uh, equal parts taking shots from like the coastal elites. You know, it's, exactly. it, they are exactly. butts of many jokes. We don't need your, your coastal elitism here on this podcast. Been to LA, it's kind of gross. Spent a ton of time in the Bay Area, very pretentious. I like to visit New York, but New York, you know, stresses me out. Yeah, they're not nice people in New York, and this is my my family is full of New Yorkers. They are not nice people over there, and so so yes, uh, Southern values, Midwestern values, <laughs> well represented on this podcast. Opening it up with a country music reference. So, Cody, you are here talking to me, which means you are still alive. You are, however, still personal Twitter lists. Is there any update for? the people in that regard. You know, I've been trying to work behind the scenes, trying to pull some strings. I'm told The Athletic has been in touch with three different Twitter employees trying to get this figured out. It normally doesn't take that long. I also enlisted the help of Greg Garno, who runs the At Tigers account. He contacted a human. 
I was told I was supposed to get an email um, that was going to allow me to reset my password and regain access to my account. Have I received that email yet? No, I haven't. Will I ever? I'm not sure. You know, sometimes I want to lose faith, but I'm, I'm keeping the hope. I feel like progress was made. Have talked to actual people. Why is it taking this long? I don't know. But I think there's a glimmer of light at the end of this tunnel. I'm hoping by next week, just maybe, I will have my Twitter account back. In the meantime, for anyone who doesn't already know, I've been tweeting from the at Turn the Corner account. Um, some updates, some Tigers stuff, basically using that as a temporary account. And it is funny to see like your voice and like your sense of humor uh, coming through like what <laughs> would otherwise be looking like a bot. You know what I mean? Because it's just like a graphic and. Yeah, I, I feel weird looking at my own tweets <laughs> sometimes. Like that's not me. Like that's if I saw that, I wouldn't even take a tweet from that account seriously. But, you know, that's. That's just what happens when you, uh, when you lose. A your shout sport. out to uh, Evan Woodbury for also letting the people know. A, technically, a competitor, you know, and, yeah. and shout out to him yeah. for letting the people know. Hey, this is where Cody is. I thought that was a really good gesture by him. A lot of good, a lot of good people yeah. in the Tigers beat. Yeah, well, you know, I followed a couple of them from that account, and they didn't even follow Ooh. me back. So I'm a little upset about that, but you know, that's that's okay. I get it. It's just some dumb podcast account. One of these days. Maybe my real blue checkmark account will be back. Hopefully, hopefully. So this week in Tigers land, there was some interesting on the field and off the field uh, storylines. Since it's fresh in the mind, let's start with Matt Manning on Friday night down in Cleveland. You were there, obviously. We've talked about Manning's progress on this pod several times periodically as he's one of the uh, one of the young guys still trying to gain his footing and to this point I would kind of say he's been chalk like he's had some nice moments and then there have been some some valleys and last night was a valley even though it started out really promising and this he looks exactly like you would expect as my cats are fighting in the hallway he looked exactly as you would expect an early 20s guy who maybe is a little bit ahead like ahead of where he should be in terms of placement, but he's kind of figuring it out on the fly. He's, you know, using some new pitches on the fly which he had talked about. And last night was one of those times where it wasn't going right for him. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, against the Rangers a couple weeks ago, he had had probably his best start as a pro. The slider had really been coming along in his more recent outings. It seemed like he was starting to make some real progress before Friday night's game. AJ Hinch was talking about, okay, now we're starting to see the real Matt Manning. He's not having to constantly make all these tweaks. He's kind of becoming who he actually is. This is his arsenal. And it seemed like there was some optimism. And then he went out and he had, I would argue, maybe his worst start as a professional. At least in terms of stuff, it wasn't there. The fastball was sitting like 92. The slider was was just ugly and flat. Um, he gave up 10 hits. The Indians had no problem uh, banging the ball around the park a little bit. We've been through this with Mize and Scooble. It is important to remember there are going to be ups and downs. He's not going to be perfect every night. He didn't have his stuff. It was a bad outing. That doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher. That doesn't mean he's uh, not going to make it. I think we've seen enough that 
No, there's plenty of promise in Matt Manning. Again, though, only generated, I think, four swings and misses. It's kind of strange how this guy who's supposed to be a power pitcher coming up through the minors is not missing bats. And this is a guy who we've seen touch 97, 98, and he's sitting here 92, 93. Um, that's a discussion that I think it's kind of weird. You know, maybe it's a just the toll of a long season. Some nights you just don't have your best velocity. A.J. Hinch has really tried to deflect the conversation from velocity, I think, because it's easy for us as fans and media members and the public to kind of obsess over, and A.J.'s probably trying to protect his young guys from too much scrutiny. We asked Matt Manning about it, and he just kind of said, I don't know, in terms of both why he didn't have more velocity, and he also has to learn to pitch without 97 in his back pocket. If you're not going to have 97 every night, then you need to be learn to be effective at 93. And he hasn't done that. You definitely can't do it when your slider isn't working. So these are all, I'd like to say, things in the developmental process, but the sheer stuff has been concerning in a number of Manning's outings. I would say don't panic, don't write off Matt Manning yet, because it wasn't that long ago we were saying, does Casey Mize actually have any command? Why have we not seen any command from Casey Mize? Why is he walking, guys? To the point it was starting to get kind of concerning, and then all of a sudden everything clicked for Casey Mize, and now um, it seems kind of crazy that you know that his stock ever seemed to be as low as it was maybe at one point in spring training. Again, Matt Manning probably shouldn't be in the big leagues right now. It's almost a little unfair to him, I think, but the Tigers needed pitching. He's up here, and he is every bit going through the ups and downs that you might expect for a young pitcher in such a situation. And actually, I don't blame AJ for sort of deflecting the velocity no. stuff there because, right. as you said, you got, you know, you try to protect your young guy, especially pitchers, you know. And number two, like, that's the, the main issues with Manning are just going to have to be stuff that are, uh, that Fetter and the rest of the staff and Manning himself are going to have to deep dive on, you know, in the offseason. There's not, there's, there's Absolutely. only so many things. When you got to go out there every five days and really rest is like the biggest component of of the time, you know, the time in between, and you and studying your most recent opponent, you almost don't really have as much time to study yourself for those kind of integral things. And if you're AJ, if you're Chris Fetter, like you got a whole team, you got a whole pitching staff. Like there's, you know, it's not just Matt Manning that you got to try to like move along and. And to a certain extent, you're sort of buying time because you just you're not in a situation where these things can really be fixed. This is offseason stuff. And and you're absolutely right. I think that's a great point that needs to be echoed more about how you gotta be able to A, you gotta be able to pitch when you don't have your best stuff. But if you're a velocity guy and you're not touching ninety seven, ninety eight, like how do you adjust from that? Because, you know, for Matt Manning to tell the media, I don't know, I mean that's fine. But what he does need to know, at least internally and with the coaching staff, is where are my spots when I'm trying to get out, when I'm trying to get out of jams, when I'm trying to get out of innings, <clears throat> excuse me, when I don't have, you know, just the sheer natural God-given talent that was given to me. And there, and to his credit, it's not like he gets in jams and then he folds. Like, we've seen multiple examples of right. him being able to sort of correct himself a little bit when he does find himself in jams. And, you know, sometimes the 
the box score stats, they tend to they they'd only show you so much of a picture. Like, you know, I'm not even talking about specifically Friday's game, but you know, gave up three base hits. Well, was it one of those base hits like against the shift where the guy just made a better play? Like there's a lot of that in baseball that kind of gets overlooked unless you're kind of dealing with it day to day. Yeah, I think Casey Mize's last outing was a good example. I asked Mize a question about that because he was having a really good outing. Um, he had, forget who it was, but 3-2 count, gave up a home run. He finishes, you know, allowed four runs. The final line wasn't very good, even though it was actually a pretty good outing. One pitch kind of did ruin his day. We've seen that happen to Mize a few times. You know, Manning, eh, the Indians had some hits fall, but he was getting hit around pretty hard. His stuff wasn't there. I think to get inside of the, the mental aspect of it, it's hard to um, really know how much it means, but it's kind of interesting. I think Matt Manning is definitely less of a thinker than Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, and I think that works to his benefit. I think we've seen Manning look very unfazed and get out of some big jams so far in the major leagues, where think about Casey Mize last year. There were times you could just tell he was pressing, he was thinking, he was overthinking. But there was also a difference in uh, the way they carry themselves post-game. Casey Mize would be very hard on himself, but also very accountable, very honest that he needs to be better, expects to be better. Matt Manning, you know, after a rough outing, is a pretty tough interview. And I don't blame him for that because the guy's a competitor. He had a bad game. He's upset. But he, uh, you know, he definitely does not offer much, definitely doesn't get introspective. And I don't know that one way is right or wrong one way Casey Mize gives better quotes for uh stories that journalists like I write but you know there there's nothing wrong with being upset with yourself after a bad outing again I don't think it means Matt Manning isn't accountable or lacks mental toughness because I think we've seen him display plenty of mental toughness on the mound so far this season his body language overall Friday night was not was noticeably worse though he just seemed frustrated from the very start and um he never quite never quite found his footing so off the field but technically also on a field the tigers uh beat writers including yourself and some members of the community and uh and your readers got to hear from one chris illich this week and Every owner or chairman, CEO, whatever term, you know, technically falls under, does it kind of different. Like, I live in, in, in the Dallas area, so the Dallas Cowboys owner, it doesn't take long, days in between, Jerry Jones talks to the media. It's what he does. He does it all the time. Uh, you know, Tom Gore is the Pistons owner. They had the press conference for the draft picks. It's the first time I heard from Tom in a long time. Uh, Illich tends to be more of the background not behind the scenes but like background he's he's not he's not spouting off but you know, he talks twice a twice year. a year and you usually know, once in spring, spring training, training and usually once at the end of the year and and, and so you got something the before that years just to this week you got something before that then so it's you know it's it's, yeah. a, it's a, an event yeah i this might service his end of year availability i'm worried but uh, <laughs> but you know point. yeah the, the tigers were having this event at hamstring stadium which for for anyone who doesn't know it's um one of five remaining major negro league stadiums basically still standing and i've written thousands of words about hamstring stadium two different big stories it's it's a very fascinating 
uh, tale really of these people, kind of these normal citizens who have worked very hard to preserve and now restore this historic structure. Gary Gillette, who's a um, Sabre member and a baseball historian and just a really neat guy, along with the daughters of Turkey Stearns, um, the, you know, the Detroit Stars um, Negro League player have worked really hard, really for a decade to get this project going, to save this grandstand that's out in Hamtramck, to raise money, to get a civil rights grant, a historical marker. Last summer, they basically redid the playing field, and there's now a a very nice major league quality almost playing field out at Hamtramck Stadium. And this past week, There was uh, another fundraising effort announced. They're now going to be able to renovate the grandstand. Um, Chris Illich and the Detroit Tigers Foundation were a large part of that fundraising effort. And they had a big event out at the stadium, had several people speak, some local politicians, Chris Illich himself. Very nice event. Very great PR opportunity for Chris Illich to highlight his work, um, helping out with this, this really cool venture, a venture that I personally am, am very passionate about. And then he's able to come over and he, he says he's going to talk to reporters and he's able to tout the progress that his ball club has made, a way to say, hey, look, this vision that I've been telling you guys about, it's been working. And definitely since I've been on this beat, every time Chris Illich has spoken, it's kind of been the same thing, you know, the same talking points. Patience will spend when the time is right. Um, we knew this rebuild was going to be difficult. We think Al's doing a great job. We think the manager's doing a great job. Kind of these same talking points. And in, in a way, I get it. What are you, what are you really going to say? A lot of owners would be more candid. But, um, you know, Chris is, is pre-scripted. I know he goes over this stuff in detail with different um PR, you know, PR people kind of before he talks with the media, usually has one kind of main message he's trying to get across. And it ended up being very interesting because, of course, I think it's the first thing, second thing he's asked, when are you going to be willing to spend on high impact free agents or big ticket free agents, high priced free agents? And, you know, he gave this long winded way of saying, I support it. I'm on board. You know, you can go look up his exact quotes. But the gist of his message was, I'm willing to do that. And then he was asked, could it happen as soon as this winter? And he said, undoubtedly, it could happen as soon as this winter. Um, And then, you know, I asked him, how big of a need is a shortstop? And he more or less, you know, read between the lines said, yeah, we need to go out and find a shortstop. So it was all, it was definitely the strongest comments he has made to date about being willing to open up the checkbook, being willing to pursue some free agents. And again, I I think he timed it well in terms of you have this charity event, your team's playing well. Oh, and now we're finally going to spend. I think it was a, um, a pretty good time for Illich to get that message across. I should know if there were, there were people, you know, on Twitter who wanted Illich to be pressed more to say like, what is your exact payroll going to be? All these things. That's fair. It was this press conference type setting. He took like five questions. There wasn't really much, ability to get into all that. And uh, yeah, he probably wouldn't have gotten in depth. Um, one thing I'll say, and then turn it over to you, Karen. One reason he probably was not willing to commit to any financial, you know, firm, like we will sign a shortstop. We don't even know if there's going to be a season next year. I think owners and GMs across baseball are going to be very hesitant to do anything or commit to anything 
until baseball's new CBA is agreed on, I think, in, in early December. So I think we're going to see a lot of things kind of delayed because you can't make any promises or any commitments, any financial commitments until you know what the next CBA looks like. That's a really good point, and I want to come back to that in a second. But the this should have been, and in many ways it was, this should have been a celebratory week for the Tigers and you know greater Detroit baseball because they were in the midst of taking a series from the Red Sox, still leading the AL East, really good team. Uh, you have this awesome community-based, community-driven event of which the Tigers um, you know, contributed to. I'm not trying to you know, get into too much about like, you know, the PR aspect of it, but they, they made a contribution. All right. And it's helping make this, this dream a reality of sorts. It's a good thing. You know, we can just kind of leave it at that. Absolutely. It's a good thing. No, absolutely. Um, and then, and then Chris Illich comes out and more or less says like, yeah, like I'm just paraphrasing obviously, but I read when I read his exact quotes, I more or less interpreted it as, Look, we know this is what we need to do, and we are preparing to be able to do it. It's not a promise. It's not like an indication per se, but it's recognition of what we all know, which is like, you know, teams playing well, they have some holes. It's Major League Baseball, so really the only way to immediately plug those holes is by spending in the December january months that's how that's how the game is played and so you're gonna have to do that if you want a highly competitive baseball team more or less you know there are exceptions to this but more or less and for the first time that i can remember he more or less went in admitting that saying that knowing that it's a thing that should be music to tigers fans ears and the pushback that, and it wasn't necessarily like one journalist in particular, and I'm not trying to name any names, but we'll just use the term Tigers beat writers to cover them all. We're getting criticized for not pushing hard on Chris Illich for specifics where, A, you know, because I, I used to be a journalist too, and I always thought, thought, found it like not worthwhile to sort of, go where I knew, like, turned down into a cul-de-sac just to say I drove down the cul-de-sac. And so if I know that he can't give specifics, he's not going to give specifics, and it's not really that important that he does right now in this moment, I'm not going to, like, press and, and try to be, like, that guy. And it doesn't really make for good information distribution anyway, in my opinion, and I don't know. I just didn't really think that was a the time or the place to try to like get Chris to, you know, show you his accounting ledger for uh, for the team. And you know, there are still a lot of business aspects of the Tigers and baseball in general that are pandemic related. I was gonna say any any good businessman probably does not know exactly what their budget is going to be for next year yet because there's still so much up in the air, still a lot developing. You have to see how much revenue you take in here in these next two months, which if the Tigers keep drawing well, could make a pretty significant difference. 
Yeah, and look, he and again, the, the, the bigger point, he said that that is something that they are, you know, prepared to do, looking at, you know, anticipate being like a possibility. That wasn't the case last year. That wasn't the case two years ago. That wasn't the case three years ago. Like, this is what you would want for him to say, but it's one of those, like, preconceived notions about him that sort of overlays the judgment, and then I guess Detroit beat writers have a reputation for being soft on the Illiches. I I, I don't, I, I that's sort of what I was reading between the lines based on some Twitter comments. Like, I don't know, like, what what do you want? Do you want every time Al speaks or, or Chris speaks to be like a, a White House press conference? Where yeah. you have one or two people essentially yelling at the uh, at the person <laughs> with the microphone, like is that what you want? Like I don't know. Yeah. Like it... coming to Oaches is an interesting venture. Uh, there was a reporter. I'm not even sure. Um, I think maybe from Crane's business. There was someone there who uh, popped in a question about you know District Detroit or I think uh, some other business dealing that Oaches had, and he basically said now is not the time to talk about that. So that's another thing with Illich is that anytime he speaks, you got the Tigers, you got the Red Wings, you got Little Caesars, you got District Detroit, you have all these, you know, casinos, you have all these various projects. It's hard to do things in a vacuum. As a journalist, I do tend to view talking to Chris Illich differently than I do AJ Hinch or Al Avila because this guy is a public figure in a whole different way. He is a billionaire. He's an important um, figure in the city. His family has done a lot of good for the city, and you could argue his family has done a lot of harm to the city too. He's, you know, it's very important. It is a public interest. He controls a prime piece of real estate in downtown Detroit in Comerica Park itself. There's a lot that goes in anytime Chris Ilch talks. Um, I do think journalists should hold people like that accountable. You also have to be a little bit realistic and like, okay, today we are talking about the Detroit Tigers and we're not going to treat it like it's uh, it's a state secret because we're we're talking about the Detroit Tigers here. And I don't know, Illich does have a complicated perception. I've written about that before. I don't like how scripted everything feels, but from his point of view, I kind of get why you would do that. And so that's my grand point here. The way things went down were no accident. It was calculated by Illich Holdings a little bit, which as a journalist, I don't love. But they knew what he was going to say, and they knew he was going to stop short of promises, but they also knew how it was going to be perceived and portrayed in the media that, oh, Chris Illich says he's willing to spend. They knew all that was going to happen, and it went down according to plan. Um but I also think if you're a Tigers fan right now, hey, your owner finally said he's interested in bringing some free agents to Detroit. I don't know that that's the time to get, uh, you know, of all the times to be mad at Chris Illich, this is probably not, not the one time maybe you shouldn't be, the one time you finally said what you wanted to hear. And 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 let me, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up District Detroit, let me and my overall point, separate those two things because right. I, I believe they're, they're, like they are separate I, business ventures. Yeah. Well, and even, even just in terms of like, if, if you want to grill the few, one of the few times you're going to be able to get Chris, you being just anybody, any journalist, if you want to grill him and in the few times that he's going to be like willing to talk and you want to get some answers about district Detroit, 
no pushback from me at all sure uh but if you are expecting the journalist to get him to like go into the weeds about like how he views the team planning for signing like a marquee shortstop like that just seems rather silly and pointless so like the district detroit thing someone needs to go ask that and that that yeah. that needs to still be in no, uh in in the public sphere in the public mind like that shouldn't just be allowed to go away uh so i uh, i just want to make that clear like keep that separated but for the specifics of of the uh, of the tigers and you, you look at the past you know whatever months um we have no idea of knowing this, but I'm sure, you know, AJ Hinch is making more than minimum wage, you know, and so like that, I probably, you know, he probably had to, he, he's probably paying a premium for a premium, maybe a little less to pay because of how AJ was available, but you know, he probably had to, you know, he probably didn't. I would imagine he's making more than Rod Gardner, so yes. like there's there's that and. Again, I'm not trying to cry for billionaires, but it's a real thing about how much money like was lost last year. It's a real thing. Like, oh, everybody lost money. Like, I think that needs to also be in consideration, just generally speaking. Like, they lost money. There's a chicken and the egg thing about you know fans showing up, team being good, and you know, and the revenue that comes from now that fans can go to go to games. But like, the reality is like the Tigers lost money last year a lot, just like every other. Major League Baseball team and major professional sports team lost a lot of money. Not tr- not crying for them, but they it is still a business, right? So there's a lot that goes into it, and then you throw in the uncertainty of the collective bargaining agreement, and we don't get a whole lot of updates on that, Cody. Right now, uh, the history of collective bargaining. And Major League Baseball is not smooth sailing. And Major League Baseball, I contend, is probably, like the Players Association, is probably the strongest private sector union yeah. maybe in the history of organized labor. Like, I, like, like it's they do not budge on really anything. Like, anything. And so it's going to be very, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And of course, Illich being team owner, CEO, chairman, whatever, you know, he's on one side of that table. So like he, he, he knows more than we do. Obviously he knows like what the potential hiccups could be or what's going to be the line in the sand from the owners or from the players uh, association. That's a big part of it that, that no one's talking about right now for that's going to affect all teams. And we probably should have mentioned it with the Jonathan scope thing when we were talking about that last week, because maybe scope, Signs a little, maybe he'd be open. This is all speculation. Maybe he'd be a little bit more open to, maybe not an extension, but like a contract, you know, sooner rather than later. That would be like, obviously on the cheaper end compared to what we're going to be talking about with all these shortstops. Maybe he'd be open to that just for the security. And you would kind of mention that a little bit last week as a guy who was on one-year deals all the time. So, yeah, like, that, think, that's going to be a big factor. I think that's another reason, thinking about that more, like the Tigers aren't going to offer Jonathan Scope an extension tomorrow. Because what if there's no season? You don't want to write down that you're paying him $6 million, you know? And that goes into uh, the whole player contract thing. And you, you technically 
you know, like we saw in the shutdown, it's possible to um, not pay players if games aren't being played. But I think that will impact negotiations. That's why I would think uh, if the scope is to get extended, I don't see it happening, you know, before the end of this season. And there's also this thing called the Delta variant out there. Scary as it is, I don't know, could, uh, could ballparks get shut down or capacity be limited again? I don't even like to speculate on In that. Arizona I'm not and sure Florida, I think happen, they're taking some yeah. measures there. Yeah, like you just you can't quite say for sure. So from a business perspective, committing to anything financially is probably not a very smart move. Do you know? And God, I wish I I need to just do as much research in this, into this as I can going forward because I imagine this will take up a bulk of our off season pots. Do you know what sort of the big ticket issues are um from either side i guess uh in regards to the collective bargaining agreement or is that something that just you haven't been able to get into as much either i think there's a lot i think there is a lot um the things that will get the most noise will probably be about service time manipulation about you know will the players union want to lower the um you know, your eligibility to hit free agency from six years to five years, perhaps redo the arbitration process. They're going to be looking to get guys paid earlier in their careers. Teams are going to push back on that. I think that'll probably be the debate that gets talked about a lot, but I think it's going to go into a lot of semantics. I kind of think every little thing is going to be argued over. And by the way, Detroit Connection, Tony Clark is uh, the Players Association head. And, and you know, bold prediction here, owners are going to try to get the fans to side with them, and players are going to try yes. to get the fans to side with them. And it's going it, to, those things can get as ugly as presidential elections sometimes when you, when you get. We saw, we saw it. We saw it last summer. It got bad. And then you had this debate over should you sign with these players who are still getting paid more money than the average person by quite a wide margin? Or are you really going to side with these billionaire owners? You know, we talked about this being a pro labor pot. I tend to take the player's side here. Uh, but it's, it's a real thing when you get down to, are you actually going to not play a season? Now, my understanding of these negotiations is like a lockout would be more likely than a strike, given how things are going to go with this particular bargaining and hope, look, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Um, but that's you know that's kind of the read I get on it so far. Yeah, hell of a time for all those shortstops to hit free agency too. You know, hell hell of a time <laughs> yeah. they had to take less money last year. Then you have an upcoming uh, collective bargaining agreement. Uh, we talked about how Scott Boris is Jonathan Scope's agent. Uh, Scott Boris represents a lot of people. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He represents a lot of people. Uh, I don't think he's gonna get much sleep between the months October and February. Like he's gonna, he's gonna be a very busy man, uh, trying to you know navigate through all of this. So let's transition a little bit. Uh, your colleague at the Athletic, Jim Bowden, put out a list this week of the top rookies, top ten rookies in the American League, and got a couple Tigers in there. Number three was Casey Mize, and number four was Akil Badu. Not necessarily a surprise that they're listed there, but I was 
happy to see Badu get on some national list because you see on on Twitter a lot like Fox MLB puts up graphics for like you know rookie of the year stuff and they if it's like five people they'll include Mize um, but they more or less don't mention Akil Badu and Akil Badu is uh, I thought this was interesting from from Bowden who's you know a former GM you know forever that's worth uh, he he called Badu he. He tracks him as a future 2030 guy, home runs to stolen bases. That'd be a lot of fun if that potential could be reached. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd like to see 2030. Wow. I think I think that'd be a, a, a great thing for the Tigers. But no Eric Haas on on this list. Uh, it's only 10 people. It's the entire American League, so this is not a anti-Jim Bowden point. But the larger point is... Eric Haas is a guy who deserves deserves respect, deserves recognition. I don't know if there's anything more you would want from a guy who's trying to prove he can stick from a, uh, as a major leaguer. He's hitting for power. He's hitting clutch. He's getting clutch hits. He plays the hardest defensive position, or the most demanding, at least, defensive position and catcher. Oh, and by the way, he also platoons the outfield sometimes. So like he's he's versatile. He's clutch. He hits for power. He caught a no hitter this year. You know, like it's uh it's it's been a whirlwind for Eric Haas, and I hope nationally he gets a little a little bit of recognition. But even if he doesn't make it in any of these like top ten lists, it's still a far cry from where we were when we started this podcast during spring training when you were down in Lakeland and Eric Haas was an afterthought and as it turned out after reading your story that published this week on The Athletic if you are a subscriber you can read it you can read all the things including Bowden's list on The Athletic still I believe have a 50% uh, subscription offer on the table and so that's that's one hell of a deal so Eric Haas was an afterthought for A.J. Hinch as well. And that's not me reading in between the lines. That's me reading A.J. Hinch's words. Remarkably honest from the uh, from the manager there, Cody. Uh, it's one thing you got to like about A.J. Hinch. He te- tends to lead toward honesty. Like we talked about earlier, he, the guy still has to protect his players. He's done that a lot with the young pitchers especially. But he said, look, we literally didn't give Eric Haas a chance in the backup catcher competition in spring. That was true. They wanted a long look at Jake Rogers, who didn't have a very good spring. They had Wilson Ramos kind of penciled in because they were paying them money. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, if Rogers doesn't make the roster, Griner's just the guy who has some experience. We'll go with Griner. Eric Haas had a great spring. He hit three homers. He was hitting like 360. You know, he's, he, he's not the best defensive catcher. I think he was even worse in spring training. He had a lot to work on and clean up defensively. But as AJ Hinch said, he just—it didn't really matter what he did. He just wasn't going to get that shot, and that was probably unfair to him. I think it's good to see your manager now admitting that uh, that that probably was unfair. Because look at what Haas is doing now—he's worth 1.4 wins above replacement. He has 18 home runs. I think it's easy to forget he's a rookie because he's 28, because he's had a couple of shorter stints in the big leagues. Before, I wonder if that's why he doesn't pop up on these lists sometimes. But Bowden's list, Andrew Vaughn is on here, who's worth 1.2 wins above replacement. Well, Haas, 
by the uh, definition of being a valuable player, has been worth a little bit more. He's actually hit for a little more power. Vaughn will probably have a better career than Eric Haas, but this year, I think Eric Haas has been better. I think, uh, you know, I think a Rosarena at one is totally legit. I think Adolis Garcia at two is totally legit. Bowden actually ranks Casey Mize ahead of Akil Badu. I think Akil Badu would be my number three guy. Based 1.7 wins above replacement, a great slugging percentage. He's stealing bases. I, I think Badu has a decent shot to be the winner of this award by the end of the season. We'll, we'll see. Randy Rosarena might end up running away with it if he continues his hot second half. But Badu is right in there. You know, and Mize too. So I think it's good to see those guys get recognition. I think Haas is still, you know, he was overlooked by the Tigers at the start of the year, and now he's kind of overlooked nationally. Um, So it was was cool to talk to some of the people who watched him play in AA Akron, where he hit 26 home runs a couple of years ago. It wasn't like this guy totally came out of nowhere. He has a long track record of hitting for power in the minor leagues. Now his average wasn't always great. He's probably average defensive catcher at very best. But he also, as A.J. Hinch talked about, once you get past 25, 26, you have this power, a little bit of swing and miss profile. It's easy to just get labeled, oh, this guy's organizational depth. A.J. Hinch said that's an unfair evaluation. Eric Haas so far this year is proving why that's an unfair evaluation because he has been a very nice solution for the Tigers at catcher. Another kind of like Akil Badu early on. I thought, okay, this guy's going to have a good three weeks, and then we'll probably never hear from him again. Well, it's August. The guy has 18 home runs. The guy's going to have a 20-homer season in the big leagues. That's pretty remarkable. And, yes, he's doing it all while still mowing his own lawn in Livonia. Shout out, Eric Haas. Man should mow his own lawn. That's true, although let me push back on that a little bit. My fiance likes to mow lawns. Does that make me a bad man? Well, that's no, that's very progressive. Of thank you, you like thank that. you, thank you. A, ma- a man and a woman should take homeowners take care of should, their homes. Should, should take care homes. of their homes. Yes, I couldn't imagine paying yes. somebody to mow my lawn. No offense if you do that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it was really it was a really cool story, and I put this out on Twitter, and you can follow me at Kieran underscore Steckley. Cody, when he regains his Twitter, is at Cody Stavenhagen. Right now, he's tweeting from the pod page at Turn Corner Pod. It was one, like, the number one thing I took from that was sometimes, obviously in baseball, flash in the pans happen. And they're typically random. Although you did write about another flash in the pan that unfortunately was uh, cut too short, would have been more in Mark Fidrich. what would have been God reading about his story is, is, is crazy. And, and, and you did a good job capturing it all, but like, you know, talk about another guy who would have been saved by just base, what we would consider basic medicine, sports medicine today. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, with Eric Haas, like this success that he's having right now is not an accident. So like flash in the pans, you know, they, they tend to be more accidental than purposeful. And, Everything that he's accomplished this year can be harkened back to things he had done previously, work he had done previously, adversity he had overcome previously. And that's the biggest thing. And take away the hometown part of it. Like, this is an amazing baseball story for, like, for any team if this were to occur. And we talk all the time about, like, uh, about progress 
not being linear, development not being linear. God, you, is there a better example right now than Eric Haas? No, no. I mean, absolutely. This guy was a an all-star in the minor leagues. He was a postseason MVP in the minor leagues. I don't know. In a way, his development, it wasn't not linear. He had a track record of hitting everywhere he had been. Now, not an average hitter, struck out a lot. He had to do a lot of work with uh, Johnny Nair and his hitting coach in A to get better at pitch selection, pitch recognition, a consistent swing. But the development of his power was always pretty linear. I mean, it was it wasn't even development. It was just always there. And he just never really got an extended shot to prove he could carry that over to the major league level until now. Uh, I think to bring up, well, we'll go into it a little bit, but I know you have an interesting suggestion for A.J. Hinch in this week's A.J. Hinch suggestion box, which I think is, is related to Eric Haas, the Eric Haas story a little bit. Yes, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I, I did want to say, though, with, with Haas, you know, football season has started. As you know, as I probably annoy you and other well, people, I, I do about, other sports analogies. It's an analogy. It's an analogy. It's an analogy. Hard Knocks starts next week. I will Hard Knocks, they, they, sh- they, show the, uh, they show the players getting cut. You know, it's one of the, you know, more interesting uh 15 minutes of TV you'll ever watch is seeing these guys like dreams like being taken from them. It sucks, but it's it makes for great drama. And one of the things that coaches will say and lead up to these cuts and stuff, and you'll see it on Hard Knocks, I guarantee you, is like if you're like a fringe roster guy, your job is to make the coach's job hard. Like make it hard for me to cut you. Make it hard for me to have to get rid of you. And that's what Eric Haas has done this with his work this season and as we do some lame version of projection that has no bearing but it's fun to do as we often talk about he has made the catcher situation better but also harder Absolutely. as you project yeah. as you project going forward because we had talked previously it's like should you still get a veteran a la romaine or whatever romaine uh, Romain, excuse me. Gosh, the guy I went to high school with a guy named Romain, or uh, Romain, and it's spelled the same. So that's why I always say that. Uh, shout out David Romain. He doesn't listen to this podcast. But anyway, uh, do you still go down that avenue? I don't feel like you have to. You probably could. Maybe you should. I don't feel like you have to. But if if Rogers is healthy, and and you got Eric Haas. You know, you're gonna, you know, the the Dingler thing will will also, you know, go into play a little bit next year in spring training, especially. Eric Haas has made it a more complicated projection, and I mean that as a huge compliment to him. Yeah, I still don't know what the Tigers will do. I am getting the sense they're probably going to be content to roll into spring training with Jake Rogers and Eric Haas as their catchers. I could see them trying to add a veteran on a minor league deal who they think could be a, a serviceable third option. I don't know what Grayson Griner's future holds. We could see him seek opportunity in another organization, or this guy's already got a lot of chances in the Tigers organization. Is he really going to get you know a, a better chance somewhere else? But I think they'll add someone, but maybe not on a major league deal, just based on what Haas and Rogers have done at this point. It's In a way, it's tricky. As I said, are you – 
100% sure about Haas? Are you 100% sure about Rodgers? I don't think we've seen enough yet to say that at all. And that makes it tricky if you're going to not add a catcher, put your faith in these two guys. But the longer we go, the more Eric Haas keeps hitting homers. His defense, I don't think it's great, but I think it's improved. i starting to like it. his game calling a lot better than Grayson Griner's. Um, I mean, I think you, you got to have this guy as your catcher next season, and you, you're starting to look at ways to fit him more in left field, maybe even first base. That could be an interesting option at first base next season where, again, will they add someone? How quickly do you actually plan on bringing up Torkelson? really looking to get Haas more ABs, I think first base could be a solution as well. So we will see what happens there. A lot of interesting roster discussions to come in large part because guys like Akil Badu, Derek Hill, Eric Haas have made these conversations hard by playing well. Yes. And like I said, in the sort of in the home stretch of spring training about Akil Badu is that if you're going to preach competition, which we all kind of knew that was a little tongue in cheek, the Haas thing being an example Uh, But if you're going to preach competition and you're going to preach earning your spot, you had to keep Akil Badu on the Major League roster. Uh, Obviously, he's exceeded all expectations since then, but at the time, it was kind of a tricky conversation. I was firmly, I was like, all right, he's shown enough. He's got to be in it. That's what you're trying to build a foundation for a program for. It wouldn't make any sense for him to perform this way, have the sort of stipulation he has with the Rule 5 or whatever, and then not put him on the Major League roster. And and of course, since then, it almost seems like that was ten years ago that yeah. we had we had to, we had to have that kind of conversation. Uh, I wanted to pivot real quick. Been meaning to do this for I don't know a month now. I forget things sometimes. I, it should be just every week. We should just say the sentence. Shout out Dan Dickerson. Like it just like every 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 week. For like, real. It, it 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 it's always worthwhile. Um, I'm a as I've said before. I'm a radio guy. Um, this is not any indictment of the TV announcers, but I prefer to come home from work, relax, crack open a beer, listen to Dan to call a Tigers game. Like that's that's you know something grill something or whatever. Like that's what I enjoy doing. That's what I'm gonna do most of this weekend is listen to Dan call a Tigers game, and. Really good, really interesting article on the Athletic. Uh, Cody did not write it, so it's not that good, but uh, it 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 does have Dan Dickerson in there, and it talks about the history of baseball on the radio. Obviously, that was like the first broadcasting that had gone on, and then it talks about the future of baseball on the radio. How some teams had done the simulcast thing, where you have just one announcer for both. Um, as someone who had has taken has some limited radio experience and you know not to brag third place Oklahoma Broadcasting Award for color commentary you know for the college division no big deal shout out Michael Bull my partner on that uh, radio and television are a different animal and I've always appreciated radio more because you have to as the article would say like kind of paint a picture and I hope all of baseball all of football all of basketball all of hockey they don't go down this road but especially for the tigers and dan dickerson i hope that they don't go down the road of sort of like merging the two tv and radio one audio feed for each um it's been a hard road for dan and all these radio guys to 
either have to broadcast from empty Comerica Park when the Tigers are on the road, or in the case specifically with Dan, done a lot of solo jobs this year. God, you know, that is so hard. I don't know if people appreciate how hard that is to be solo on the radio uh, for a baseball game. And he's done a miraculous job. Uh, he's And then he's had to kind of like train some partners on the fly throughout, you know, this year with, with Jim not traveling and and his health, uh, I'm not trying to speculate or anything, but it looked like he had a little health scare a couple weeks ago where he had to miss a game. Um, he seems all right, but, you know, that's something that, you know, he's up there in age. Remember, he was on the 68 Tigers. Like, you know, he's up there in age. Uh, so, you know, Craig Monroe's doing this weekend. They had Austin Jackson. Uh, Dan Petrie's done done some Dan work. Dan Petrie's Craig, been phenomenal, by the Dan, way. Dan Petrie is, is awesome. We're on the record as saying he elevates – any broadcast that he's on, I think he should have his pick. If, if both jobs became available for some reason, he should have his pick. So shout out Dan Dickerson. He's also a great follow on Twitter. After Tigers wins, he does these uh, these breakdowns. They're like these threads. They're like eight around eight tweets each. I mean, they're not short, and it's like full of context and stats and and like sort of it's it's honestly sort of like taking you back to the mo- the key moments of the game just in written form. And they're phenomenal. So if you're a Tigers fan, you don't follow Dan on Twitter, and you're missing out on a lot. So just uh, generally, he, generally speaking, shout out Dan Dickerson. He had a great quote in there where he goes, "I think it would be ridiculous in that story in the Athletic. I think it'd be ridiculous for there to be a simulcast because, like, the amount of people that you reach with radio and the impact that it's had on people, like Ernie Harwell had on people. He goes." He had impact on me, so that's at least one. I think there's more. <laughs> it's a really, really good quote from Dan there. I hope they never break that. I think it's. I think that's one of the best parts about the baseball experience. So shout out Dan Dickerson. Shout out to the Athletic for that great story. And uh, and if like I said, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you ought to because it it it's great. And I've never met Dan. I only know him from how most people know him. It's just hearing his voice. But he, he brings you in. He makes you feel like you know him and you're a part of like the Tigers experience. A few points on all that. I should probably do the Dan Dickerson-esque post-game thread, especially since I don't have to write game stories. But I don't because Dan is just better than me. Dan is just – he's amazing. He works so hard. People think it's just like you sit there – you talk about what happens in the baseball game. Like the level of preparation Dan Dickerson brings to the park every day is truly mind blowing. Also one of the very best people I've met in baseball. You meet a lot of people in baseball. Some are nice. Some aren't my first couple days on the Tigers beat could be kind of intimidating. Dan was Dan and Jim Price were probably the two guys who most made me feel comfortable. Like it's okay. You belong. We're going to talk to you. We're going to treat you like a human being. Um, I saw Dan's wife, Lori, Lori Ann Dickerson, at the park the other day. She's a journalism professor at Michigan State. Terrific professor, from what I understand. She's also incredibly nice. Hopefully, I'll get to make a trip up to East Lansing this fall, maybe talk to a class a little bit. I'm hoping for that. And Dan Petrie, also an incredibly nice guy. Sometimes you forget this guy's a former big leaguer because he's just so normal and laid back and will you know, he'll just strike up small talk about kind of the most trivial things. And it's like, this guy's a World Series ring, you know? Uh, so it's it's cool to be around people who are that nice. Ernie Harwell, from what I understand, was also that type of person. The self-deprecating joke he made that I, Harwell said, I've put more to, more people in the state of Michigan to sleep than anyone in history. 
which is a uh, very casual way of saying you're one of the greatest baseball announcers of all time. And the story with Dan, I thought, included some amazing nuggets of Dan Dickerson sitting in Harwell's living room and getting these little broadcast tips that I never would have even thought of. Like when there's an infield pop-up, say the guy caught it before he actually catches it so that your call times with the applause of the crowd. And if he drops it, that only makes it more dramatic when you say, oh, and he dropped it. Uh, some of those little tidbits I thought were fascinating. The fact that Dan Dickerson went in Ernie Harwell's living room to seek out that knowledge 10 years before he was even calling Tigers games, I think is amazing. Yeah, it's a great story. And those jobs are few and far in between. And the people who have them, you can read that story. Like you could tell how much they value it and, and all that stuff. It, it, it's one of the, it's one of the, like I said, it's one of the best things about the baseball experience. So shout out Dan Dickerson for my dad's birthday, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, we got him like the Ernie Harwell, like audio collection and like an audio interview, like six CD set or whatever. And I convinced my mom, cause I, I don't know, I didn't have any money. I was like 12 years old or something. I convinced my mom to like pay the extra 70 bucks or whatever to get the signed version. So my dad's got that in his little display case in the house. And it's probably one of his more fond, uh, fond gifts he's ever received. So as always shout out Dan Dickerson. All right, let's transition to the A.J. Hinch suggestion box of the week. I got one, and it's kind of... I actually thought about it last week, and then he hit three home runs in Toledo, or for Toledo yesterday. So now I gotta do it. Why not bring up Christian Stewart to the big leagues? Why not bring up Christian Stewart? One of our first episodes, Cody, we talked about how like basically we had all just forgotten about Christian Stewart. He wasn't in our front lobes. We weren't even discussing him. He was only going to be in spring training for a little bit and then he was going to, you know, get outrighted or whatever and he's been on a tear recently. 3 home runs yesterday. Uh his numbers since mid-July, so we're about a month in. His numbers are pretty dang good and then overall you know 265 batting average 929 OPS and that's after a horrid start so that gives you an idea of how well he's been doing of late Tigers have a need for some power um for whatever it's worth Victor Reyes had had the triple machine Victor Reyes you know is proof that you know guys can have moments even when you count them out I guess uh but why not give him some ABs? I just th- I think I think it's worthwhile. There's still some injuries going on in the Tigers outfield. Daz Cameron, that timeline is muddy. Uh, Robbie Grossman looks like he's all right, but you know maybe that could flare up again. Um, unfortunately, Derek Hill has an injury history. Hopefully that doesn't come up. By the way, killer throw to home. A shout out Derek Hill. Uh, and Akil Badu is still a guy that you want to sort of like manage his innings a little bit uh so why not bring up christian stewart why not or in toledo even though your boy ronaldo's down there why not why not have him play some first base why not teach him to play first base and at least give you you give him the opportunity to maximize his chances of you know having some some big league innings some big league at bats i what good is it for him to be mashing in Toledo? I think he. I think it's worth a shot. I can see two different sides of this one. 
I think in my time covering the Tigers, there's one guy that I've really been wrong about, and it's Kristen Stewart. Because spring training 2019, I was watching this guy take BP, and he puts on the best BP show of anyone on the team, Miguel Cabrera included. I was like, wow. And then he, we saw him carry that power over into some spring training games, and he had a go-ahead homer on opening day. And this guy was three times the Tigers minor league player of the year. You talk about minor league track record. This is how it relates to Eric Haas. 30 homers in 16, 28 homers in 17, 25 homers in 18. This guy hit at every level of the minors. And then he got up to the bigs and, you know, 225 career hitter, 300 OBP, high strikeout rate, only 15 homers. I almost thought in spring, I was kind of surprised how little of a chance he got. I thought, you know, this is, include him in the list of guys who get one more shot. If Victor Reyes gets one more shot, if Nico Goodrum gets one more shot, if Grayson Griner gets one more shot, why not Kristen Stewart? Because the guy can hit. The guy has some power. If you hit three home runs in a game, you can probably do some things. So there's a part of me that almost thinks it would be fair to see Kristen Stewart get another shot. There's also another part of me that really hates watching Kristen Stewart play left field. It's very bad. His arm is very, very bad. There's also, do you have at-bats to give him in the outfield? Not really right now. Um, are you going to take him over Reyes? But here's the thing about Stewart that is true. He really has one tool. It's hitting for power. And in his time in the major leagues, he has not gotten to that tool. He's not a good base runner. He's not a good defender. He doesn't have a good arm. He does not hit well for contact. Victor Reyes... Although I think he should walk a lot more, although I wish he hit for more power. He can at least run. He can at least be a, a you know serviceable outfielder for you. The idea of Stewart playing first is really interesting, and I don't know why the Tigers haven't explored that more. He is listed at only six foot. He's probably more like 5'10". But if you can play Harold Castro at first base, why can't you play Kristen Stewart at first base? I think that could be a worthwhile experiment. Um all that said, it just really seems like the organization has chosen to move on. I think his limited skill set really hurts him. Um, he just is not a well-rounded player. I think he had some holes in his swings. He could struggle against sliders and against spin when we saw him in the big leagues. So I just don't think it's going to happen. Although after we talked about how inspiring the Eric Haas story was, it would be kind of contradictory of me to say, no, Kristen Stewart deserves no shot because when you're raking in the minors, I, you kind of deserve a shot. That's my stance with Renato Nunez. So I guess you can't write off Kristen Stewart that easily. I think the separator is he's got one tool. He doesn't even always get to that tool at the major league level. And look, that's all fair. And, and we all saw it, you know, the past couple of seasons. I would just say, given. The status of the team this year where, you know, it's fun, you're winning games, you know, you're you're taking series. Uh, you're obviously not a serious contender right now. You hope to be at least on the cusp of being a serious contender for the wild card next year. If you, you know, if you sign a Carlos Correa or a Trevor Story or I guess whatever the hell is going to go on with Javier Baez. Uh... You, you make a signing like that, you do like a scope signing and, you know, maybe you get a corner bat or whatever. Like you would expect to be contenders the entire year, like just like 
you know, a team that's got to be reckoned with. I'm not trying to overstate it. A team that would be reckoned with. So, in theory, you're not getting, you're not going to have, like, games to sort of, you know, toss something at the wall and see if it sticks after this year. So, my argument to A.J. Hinch, or what I would write down in the suggestion box, would be, it's kind of now or never. Now, if you are just firm in the never, then it doesn't matter what he does in AAA, you just don't care, and... I get it, but if you're, as you said, in the position of giving at-bats to guys that we also know aren't regulars on serious contenders, I I don't, I I just think, like, if you're going to give this guy at-bats, I think Stewart falls into that category. Maybe a little bit lesser because of what you just spelled out with the tools or lack thereof, but it just seems to me, giving Christian Stewart one more shot not not necessarily an extended look, but, you know, a little bit of a window in. Why not? Why not Why not give him a shot? You're not, there's not really anything on the line in that regard. And, like, I'm sorry, like, if Grayson Griner is going to start, I know it's different, but if Grayson Griner is going to start a catcher, I just, it's hard for me to think, oh, yeah, it, he really deserves that more than Christian Stewart. I know it's different because it's catcher and all that stuff. I, I I understand it's not apples to apples, but just like in a vacuum, it like you, you're trotting out Grayson Griner. You can't give me some Christian Stewart at bats. Like it, <laughs> like it, it. The argument shrinks a little bit when you got when you got Grayson Griner in the lineup. You know, <clears throat> these things are true. I will move on to my AJ Hinch suggestion for the week, and it's a little more fun. AJ Hinch has yet to be ejected as Tigers manager. It's time for AJ to get tossed. He's been ejected 11 times. No, he's been ejected. Um, you know, he's been ejected multiple times in every season other than the 2019 season. He was only ejected once. He's never been ejected more than three times in a season. He's a pretty level-headed guy. He's not the type to go out and kick dirt around and yell. But if you're a manager, you got to get tossed every now and then. I think we saw some instances in April where AJ was very frustrated and probably could have got tossed and didn't. And just speculating, I think that's because he f- knew he was still under a little bit of a microscope mm-hmm. coming off the Astros scandal. You don't want to hear, oh, AJ Hinch got tossed in his 11th game as Tigers manager. Like, probably wouldn't have been the best look for him, I, although I don't think it actually would have mattered. But I think, you know, he was trying very hard to reestablish, reestablish his reputation, you know, win over the Tigers fan base. Well, guess what? He's done that. It didn't take very long. This guy has uh, all the credibility. I think a young team, tough game. We've seen some pretty bad calls go against the Tigers recently. We really have, or I would say just bad umpiring in general. It's gone for both teams. I've seen some poorly called baseball games, in my opinion. I think the time is coming. I think there's going to be an instance where it makes sense to go out there and say a couple magic words and get yourself tossed and fire up your team, and, and then George Lombard can say, hey, I managed you know, the last three innings of this baseball game, which, yeah. uh, which will be good, and he'll be more than capable of handling it. I think maybe that's part of it, too. I think AJ doesn't like to cede control of the baseball game, and I totally get that, but uh, you got to get tossed every now and then. The time has come for AJ Hinch to get tossed. You think it would, if you were, if you were to either suggest it to him or put in, put in a call right here, 
you think it'd be a balls and strikes thing or you think it'd be something different? I think balls and strikes is generally the easiest thing to get ejected over. Um, umpires tend to be a little more sensitive of it. What what if someone's throwing in? What if Mickey's at four ninety nine and he just keeps getting high inside fastballs? You think maybe he could, you know, get ejected for the umpires not uh, not reining in the, the opposing pitchers for doing that? That that'd be a good time to do it. That would buy some credence with your team and with your superstar. That's not that's not a bad idea. You know, it could be that, or if there's one momentous play at home or something that shifts the the balance. I've heard AJ actually say before, he's not going to go out and argue a play that's reviewable because if you go out and argue a play that was reviewed, like you're going to get tossed. But I don't know. Like we've seen a couple reviews that were pretty questionable. Um, I think, I think there are ample opportunities. I would just predict balls and strikes because that's the, that's just the easiest thing the thing that comes up every game and also probably the thing the umpires have the quickest trigger to, to throw you out for arguing. It's a good point. It's a good point. Any works this week to plug after this trip in Cleveland, I am visiting double a Erie. So we will have, uh, hopefully several stories coming from that. We'll write about the big guys torque and green. Of course, unfortunately Dylan Dingler's on the IL with a fractured finger. So just my luck. I probably caused that to happen by planning a trip to AA Erie. There's also a very high likelihood Miguel Cabrera hits his 500th in Baltimore because not only will I not be there, probably won't be watching the game because I'll be watching the game in Erie. Uh, but anyway, excited for that. And we're also going to hope to write about guys like Ryan Kreidler, maybe Bo Brisky, some other risers in the system. I'm going to spend three days there hoping to come away with a lot of good stuff. Good story still in the works for Miguel that I think we're going to run after he hits 499. We will see. But uh, talking to the scout who found Miguel out of Venezuela, pretty interesting story. It wasn't like Miguel was a nobody. Every team knew about him. But you still had this kid who played in a field full of rocks and who literally climbed over the wall for the first time he worked, uh, worked out in front of a major league scout. He lived right behind the stadium. Rather than like go around, he just like climbed over the wall. <laughs> and so that is the origin of Miguel Cabrera. And now here he is closing in on 500 home runs. Um, a pretty incredible story. Talked to Dontrell Willis, who was actually one of my favorite childhood players. Dontrell had me on the floor with some of the stuff he was saying. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to save it for the story. You're going to have to go subscribe. Hopefully we still have the 50% off deal. But in addition to the cool origins of Miguel Cabrera, you will get a couple of hilarious anecdotes from Dontrell Willis. All right. That's probably the best tease we've ever had. You got <laughs> yeah. you got the future. You got the present. You got like a deep dive in there. It's hard to beat. Hard to beat that. So hopefully you guys can go subscribe to The Athletic. Like I said, I got that 50% off deal. A lot of things going on for Detroit sports fans to pay attention to. It is a bargain. I'm actually up here pretty soon for my renewal, uh, of which I will just do the classic millennial thing and just forget about it it and and let it ride, and and I'll get the charge and be like, oh, that happened. Let me throw some money into this account and make sure it's all good. (laughs) But it's, it's one of the best bargains out there. I don't subscribe. I I love all the, the beat writers and... Uh, for all the sports, I, but I don't have to subscribe to the free press, the news, or you know anything like that. Only subscribe to the athletic. So it's uh, it's it's a great 
investment if you are a big time sports fan and like i said you get a lot of bang for your buck so cody from cleveland thanks for joining us thanks for your hotel wi-fi cooperating so we've now done this show from lakeland obviously michigan and dallas and branson missouri i feel like that's a decent amount of texas amarillo texas so you know, we've actually kind of covered our tracks for something that uh, we don't get paid to do. So, still, uh, we're still sticking in the middle of the country. We'll have to go hang out with the coastal elites here one of these days, and I'm sure it'll happen. Right now, we've just been uh, spending time with the good folks in Middle America. Let, let's let's go uh, eat some Brooklyn barbecue and uh, record a no, podcast. No, no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Follow on Twitter at TurnCornerPod for Cody's insights, at least until his actual Twitter account is put back in his possession. That is at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Thank you for listening, everybody, and have a great week.